Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. That was Philippians 2, 1 through 11. As we wrap up our series this week called How to Get to Heaven Without Really Trying, we admit that we actually believe as Christians that it is God's grace that gets us to heaven, nothing that we do on our own. The without really trying part means that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation that is given freely to you, but that as recipients of grace, there are then works which we are compelled to do on behalf of the kingdom. And so the first week we talked about that provenient grace that goes before us, the grace that draws us in. Before we even knew who God was, God was working in our lives. Last week during our Confirmation Sunday, Michael preached about justifying grace, that grace that offers us forgiveness, that grace that God gave us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, we'll be talking about sanctifying grace. And so I would like to preach from the subject, free indeed. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. There is scarce an expression in holy writ which has given more offense than this. The word perfect is what many cannot bear. The very sound of it is an abomination to them. And, whoever, and whosoever preaches perfection, i.e. asserts that it is attainable in this life, runs great hazard of being accounted by them who's them worse than a heathen man or a publican. This is how John Wesley begins his sermon on Christian perfection. And I can't imagine too many of you would come back if I spent the next 20 minutes talking like that. Like the language Wesley used is very different than our own, but as Michael and I were preparing for the sermon, we said, you know, John Wesley covered this topic pretty well. Wouldn't it just save time if we just read to everybody what he wrote? Luckily though, we at least have a little wisdom, not a lot but enough to know that standing up here and reading to you a sermon from John Wesley would not probably uh, convey enough excitement for you to want to ever come back. 
So we decided we would just let it be the guide for our sermon this morning. And so if you ever wanna know more about what we're talking about today with sanctification and Christian perfection, I point you in the direction of John Wesley. Because you see, one of the things that is most distinguishing about us as United Methodists is that we believe in a third form of grace. We believe in sanctifying grace. And we believe that this is the grace that helps us move toward perfection. Our theology states this. Sanctifying grace is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that changes us so that our lives are increasingly conformed to the mind of Christ. The concept of being made perfect is not unique to United Methodists, but the timing of it is. You see, it's not uncommon for a Christian group to believe that you will be made perfect, but most people believe it happens in the afterlife, once you get to heaven, after you die. And whereas, in a sense, that might be true, we as United Methodists believe that it can happen in the here and now. The Christian perfection is an attainable goal for which we should all seek. We believe it so strongly that we ask every United Methodist pastor at their ordination this specific question, are you going on to perfection? Every clergy has to answer yes to that or else they can't be ordained because that's part of our ordination vows. But the terms sanctification and perfection, they both carry a lot of weight and a lot of baggage. We might all give different answers if we were asked, what does it mean to be made perfect? Or what does it mean to be sanctified? So as we consider this third form of grace this morning, I would like to consider it the way Wesley did and give us the common language of freedom. I would like for us to look through the lens this morning of freedom. And I wanna ask three questions. The first is what is freedom? The second is from what have we been set free? And lastly, what do we do with our freedoms? Because as Americans, our country was established on the principles of freedom, liberty, and justice for all. We take great pride in the fact that we are a free people. It's one of our favorite things as Americans that we have the freedoms we do that were hard fought by the people who went before us. So let us first visit that question, that, let's visit that first question though. What does it actually mean to be free? We often think freedom means that we don't have a king. If you have a king, you're not free. If you don't have a king, you are free. The early pilgrims left England in search of a land where they could be free from a king and worship God the way they thought was best. You might also think that freedom means you get the right to vote for your elected leaders. However, this is not so much the definition of freedom as it is the definition of democracy. In our civics classes, in our civics conversations, we often use those terms interchangeably, democracy and freedom, but they're in fact two different things. So what then is freedom? Freedom is the ability to choose. To choose how to live your life. To choose where you want to live your life. To choose what you want to do. To choose who you want to be. The best definition of freedom we have is it's the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. The notion of freedom is very important for us as Christians because we believe that we, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has set us free. We sang about it in all the songs this morning. Every one of those songs had a line about being set free. We often sing other songs like, free, free, I am set free, or freedom is here. 
Or maybe you remember the hymn, he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. Freedom offered by Christ is a very important part of our Christian story. But if freedom is the ability to choose, then it's important to ask, from what have we been set free that gives us that choice? This is a a real important point for Mr. Wesley in that sermon on Christian perfection. In fact, his entire sermon is essentially a litany of the things from which we have been set free and the things from which we have not been set free. It's a back and forth of the things from which we now have the ability to choose and the things that still bind us. First, he says, we're not free from ignorance. If you are a saved person, it doesn't mean you now know everything. It'd be great if you did. I mean, that would be wonderful if all of a sudden you experienced salvation and then you just knew everything about everything. But there are still things for which we do not know much, actually. I bet there's more about God that we do not know than we do. The moment we accept Christ's salvation in our lives, it doesn't instill us with every mystery on heaven and earth. We are still bound by the heavenly task of learning, which is why we have Bible studies, which is why we still take part in discipleship. So sure, you're free, but you're not free from ignorance. You're not free from unknowing. You're also not free from making mistakes. Even the one who's been made perfect still makes mistakes, says Mr. Wesley. Heaven knows this one is true for me. Not that I've been made perfect, but that I definitely still make mistakes, amen? I mean, like, there's plenty of people in here who can attest to that. Dwight's over there just laughing, like, yeah, he makes mistakes. So I'm just saying, there are things from which you have not yet been set free, and making mistakes is probably one of them. If you're a parent, I bet you, believe, I bet you can like give the, the world's loudest amen. I'm sure there's been a mistake or two that you would like to take back, even though you believe in Jesus. Being a Christ follower and even being fully sanctified does not keep us from making mistakes. But Wesley does say that there is a distinguishing fact about these mistakes we made. The mistakes we make once we have experienced full sanctification, once you've been made perfect, once you are fully in love with God, are not things that are essential to salvation, but rather things that are unessential, like misremembering things, simple mistakes. So even if you're perfect, he says, that doesn't mean you're, you're perfect and that you'll never make a mistake again. He also says you've not been freed from your physical or mental abilities. Being sanctified does not mean now we have perfect memories and we can memorize the Bibles. It doesn't mean that now we can comprehend all the complexities of life that we didn't used to be able to comprehend. We often think of the the brightest minds, the the people closest to genius as being the closest to perfect. But physical or mental aptitude are not markers of sanctification or perfection. And lastly, Wesley says, you've also not been set free from temptation because we believe Jesus was perfect. And even on the last day of his life, he was tempted. So being perfect in this life and experiencing the full sanctification of God doesn't mean you'll never make him another mistake. If your goal is to be mistake-free, then you're on some other journey other than the one of Christian sanctification. If your journey is to never be tempted again, well, even Jesus was tempted. There are things from which we have not been set free despite our belief in Jesus Christ. But there are things from which we have been set free. Two of them we name every time we do communion. We say that we have been freed from slavery to sin and death. 
Have you ever thought about that line when you've heard it? That you've been set free from sin and death, from being bound to sin and death? The death part, that one kind of makes sense for us because we talk a lot about heaven as Christians. Death is probably the easier ones to wrap our minds around because we believe in the eternal life that Christ has given us. If you've been set free from death, it means you have been given the gift of everlasting life. Being set free from death means you no longer have to worry about how much time on earth you have because you have eternity. And if you don't get it right now, there's still plenty of time throughout the rest of the end of days, which could be for forever. God has set us free from the thing that most consumes humanity, the fear of death. As John Don once wrote, death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. God has set us free from death, which is a wonderful news by giving us eternal life, and we give thanks for that. But I'm afraid as Christians, we often jump to that one and forget about what it means to be freed from sin. We think that's just kind of the justifying works of God, right, that we've been forgiven. But being freed from sin is more than just being forgiven of sin. Yes, you have been forgiven for anything you've done, and if you've done something this week that you need forgiveness for, guess what? This morning, God wants to offer you that forgiveness. Even if you've experienced it before, God wants to offer it to you again. But there's more to being freed from sin than just being forgiven. Being freed from sin means that we have not just been forgiven from our sins, but we've been freed from practicing sin. The sanctifying grace gives us the strength not to sin. Whereas the justifying grace forgave us of our sins, sanctifying grace frees us from doing it again. It gives us the freedom to choose to be like Christ. The freedom to choose not to do the things we know are wrong. We've been freed to become perfect. And that seems like a big task. And you might think that that sounds too far-fetched. But we believe God's grace offers us more than we could ask for or imagine. And so if your imagination stops at the limits of perfection, then you haven't given your imagination over to the boundless possibilities God wants to offer, which includes giving us the ability to sin no more. So we've talked about what freedom is. We've talked about from what we have and have not been set free. But before we wrap up the sermon this morning, we have to talk about how this freedom compels us. What do we do with this freedom? What do we do with the ability to choose? That's what we said about freedom, right? That it is the agency we have to make our own choices. Christ has freed us and given us the ability to choose, but the crazy thing about Christians is that we choose to do something very peculiar with our God-given freedom. We choose to bind ourselves all over again. With the freedom Christ gives us, we choose to give it up. It makes no sense whenever we take so much pride in being a free people to give up the very thing that we're so proud of. But St. Peter explains in 1 Peter, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up from evil. Live as God's servants. If we truly want to experience the gift of freedom, we must give it up to serve Jesus Christ. In our communion liturgy, we say that Christ has freed us from slavery to sin and death, 
But then the very next line says, and you have freed us for joyful obedience. We've been freed from sin and death so that we can bind ourselves to obey what Christ tells us to do. We believe that the chain-breaking freedom Christ offers us has set us free. And then we turn around and bind ourselves all over again. And it's not freedom to just do whatever we want that Christ gives us. It's not the freedom so that we can gloat about freedom. We don't have freedom so that we can just tell the world about how much better our freedom is than anybody else's freedom. Our freedom is one of humility that says my choices are not as good or as right as God's. And so I choose to give up my will to be more like God's will. Every time we say the Lord's prayer, not my will be done, but yours is a submission of your freedom. You're giving it up. You're giving it away. What do we read earlier? Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If you wanna be like one who's perfect, you have to be a person who gives up the freedom to choose for yourself because as humans, we often choose what is wrong. That is what sin is. It's us missing the mark. It's choosing the thing which God would not. So we submit our will to God so that God can help us be made perfect. We give up our freedom to become servants of Jesus Christ. And if this sounds like a bit much for you, I get it. Like perhaps you've thought about your spiritual journey being you know, the reception, the reception of freedom. That God has set you free and, and that's just so good and you're so thankful to be free of the sin that you used to have on your life. I get that. Perhaps this language is entirely new for you, but it's not new language. It might be new for you, but it's not new. It's as old as the Bible itself. It plays itself out and across all spectrums of our Christian lives. Just think about it. last week we had our confirmation class. Get up and take the vows of membership. And if you're a member of this church, you took these same vows. And we ask a person who joins this church from a sixth grader all the way up to the oldest member of our congregation, these three questions. Do you repent of your sin? Do you resist evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And lastly, do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior, put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord? And that third question is the binding question. It's the one that submits our freedom. Because for Jesus to be your Lord literally means Jesus is the authority of your life. Jesus makes the decisions of how you're going to live. Jesus is the one who gets to choose what you do because you've submitted your will to God's. You've given up your choice so that you can let Christ choose for you. You're gonna let the Bible and your church and your reasoning abilities and your experiences with this tradition of faith guide you on how you're going to live your life. And your decisions will be made not on what you want, but on what your faith tells you is best. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. That's why we always say it's a tough thing. It's easy to go to church. It's hard to be a Christian. I hope giving up your freedom is not something that is discouraging to you. I hope this idea of submission is not something that kind of knocks you off kilter because I do think if you have decided this thing, it is the greatest decision you've ever made. And I wanna give you a practical example of how I know that sometimes giving up freedom is not as bad as it sounds. 
It's actually pretty great. Prior to June 29th, 2013, I was an entirely free person. I could go anywhere I wanted. I could do anything I wanted. I could leave my house decorated with guitars and makeshift furniture. I could drink from the milk carton if I wanted to. I could choose whatever I wanted to watch on TV and I could decide for myself whether the toilet seat would be up or down. But then something in my life changed. On June 29, 2013, I gave up my freedom and I bound myself to somebody else. I relinquished my freedom to choose whatever I want, whenever I want, and I got married. And it was the best thing I've ever decided other than deciding Jesus. Because my life has been immeasurably better because of that choice. Now, I know not all marriage stories are that way or are that, but the design of what marriage is supposed to be is the relinquishing of freedom. In a wedding homily, one of my best friends, Jason Borders, once said, marriage is the loss of being able to do whatever I want. Marriage is restriction. Marriage is limitation. But we relinquish our freedom willingly because we recognize that becoming less for someone else is what truly allows us to be free. What truly allows us to love them fully is when we are transformed to love as Christ loved us. True freedom, the only freedom there really is, is not found from being in charge or being right or being the best. True freedom is found from being a servant. We bind ourselves, we give up our freedoms for Christ, and in so doing, we gain the ability to experience love fully, to trust deeply, to be known in the most real sense by the God that created the universe. So what is sanctifying grace? It's the grace God gives us to help us to choose Christ and to give up our freedom. It's this understanding of grace that led John Wesley to believe that we can be made perfect, that we can be made perfect in love, love for God and love of neighbor. And that comes by not choosing to sin by relinquishing our own will and surrendering fully to God's. Bishop Will Willimon said it this way, Wesley took seriously Jesus' invitation to be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, from Matthew chapter five. By perfection though, Wesley did not mean moral flawlessness or sinlessness. He meant perfection in the sense of maturity. Wesley believed we could become perfect in love in this life. If Jesus invites us to seek perfection, perfect, perfect love is possible. Not that we'd be free from mistakes, temptation, or failure, but that we'd be filled with love, which happens by the grace of God. We may not yet be there, but by God's grace, as United Methodists say, we are going on to perfection. Being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, sounds like freedom. It might even sound really attractive to you to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. But the Bible shows us that any freedom that leads to selfish choices for pleasure or indulgence that are outside the bounds of God's will, they actually lead us to being enslaved by sin. 
by your own volition, the own choices we all make as humans with our freedom to do whatever we want because we're free are the very decisions that lead us to be bound. The only real freedom you can experience, the only true freedom that we can offer the world, the only way to be made perfect in this life is to willingly bind ourselves to Christ and choose to make Christ the Lord of our lives. That the Bible, that our church tradition, our faith, the things that guide the lens through which we experience Christianity, those things, they are the things that guide our decisions. They are the things that help us decide what we will and won't do, who we will and won't be, what we will and won't say. I pray that the sanctifying grace of God leads all of us to want to be a little less free. But in so doing, that God's sanctifying grace causes us to experience the only true freedom we can find. I leave you with these words from John's brother, Charles. May this be our prayer as we pray for God's sanctifying grace to bind us. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us and let us find our rest in thee. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.